We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy, Will Weir, checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today to help break down everything that went right and mostly what went wrong in that third quarter against the Miami Heat in Game 1 of the Easter Conference Finals. We've got my podcasting cousin from across the pond, the leader of the Taylor gang. Adam Taylor is here to help break it all down. Cue it. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Before we break any laws, I'll stop that real quick. There What's go. going on, my God? Do you know how long I've been meaning to just cue that music up for when you intro me? I mean, this is where we got to get on Greg, right? Greg's our audio producer here. We got to we got to get the audio producer to to cut that up and just have that have that playing in the background each time each time we do the intro. I also think it's just a sick beat. Let's it's a sick that. beat. It may also be illegal for us to go pull that. So who knows? We might be breaking some bylaws on that. But how you doing, man? How how are you? Uh, how are you feeling after the Boston Celtics do what they do in in the truest Boston Celtic form fashion? Uh, drop game one of the Eastern Conference Finals to the Miami Heat, one twenty three to one sixteen. Before we get into all the breakdowns, just tell me tell me how you feel and tell me tell me what's going on in your world. I'm surprisingly good. Like. If the Celtics are going to blow a game, they're going to blow it in the third quarter. That was the same in the bubble in the Eastern Conference Finals all the way up to it under Brad Stevens. It was very similar under Romeo Doka during the early part of his tenure, and then it kind of crept in and out throughout the playoffs last season. And then it's been an issue for Joe in and out of the season. Just third quarter struggles are ingrained in this Celtics team's DNA. So you know it's, what's weird about that, Adam? And I apologize, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Cool. But but I saw you tweet that earlier. And so I looked it up because it, it certainly was in the bubble. That was the prevailing, you know, every Celtics fan was was worried before the third quarter even got started about what yeah. was going to happen. And the weird part about that is last year in the regular season, and, and it carried over into this year's regular season, Net rating as far as the third quarter goes, the Celtics were the best team in the NBA in the regular season last year. This year, they were second in net rating in the third quarter. So it's weird because they've turned it into a strength in the regular season. But I went back and look at last year's playoffs, 
in last year's playoffs, aside from a few teams that were eliminated in the first round, any team that had a substantial playoff run, they were second to last, only ahead of the Phoenix Suns, who obviously got just destroyed in Game 7 of the second round last year. That was the only team that advanced more than one round that was worse than them. And this year, it's a very similar pattern. I believe only the Sixers were worse than them in the third quarter. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Celtics dominated the third quarter of game seven. So it's a really confounding issue with this team that has been a strength in the regular season after it being, you know, such a detriment to them in the bubble that it felt like that was a point of emphasis that a lot of this core grabbed onto and and made it a strength, but it keeps coming up in the third quarter that you're you're right. It's it's been bad last postseason and it's been bad again this postseason. Yeah. And even when they're having good stretches of third quarter play during the regular season, you'll still have that one to four game stretch where they stink it up out of their break. And like I say, I, I do think it's part of the team's DNA. They've, as you've kind of put it out there, they've definitely done work on removing that negative kind of impact that those thirds have. But once the playoffs come, it's back again. And yeah. I don't know whether it's when the pressure's on them. I don't know whether it's when they're going in with a lead and they're coming back out. Like it is what it is. And look, we was on Instagram Live yesterday. If you're not following either Adam Taylor NBA or Green with Envy over on Instagram and you're on Instagram, you should be. We go live before every game. And we're talking, we're just kind of chopping it up. We're talking about like, hey, you know, we think this is going to be, if, if Miami are going to win, it's going to be a Jimmy Butler game or it's going to be that Spo puts together a really good game plan and the role players step up. And the role players stepped up and you have to sit back, t- tip your cap and be like, yeah, I don't think that Kyle Lowry is going to have a smoking hot second quarter again. I don't think that Max Struess is going to shoot lights out off pull-ups consistently. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, mm-hmm. I can understand the frustration. Like, this is game one. You're coming in off the back of a big win in game seven against Philly. You're back in front of the home team. You've lost 50% of your games at home throughout this postseason. You want, you, 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 I think you're four and eight. Four and eight, like... I get the frustration, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, man, can Miami sustain what they did? Like, can they realistically sustain the, the production off the bench? You, you know, you know who else asked themselves that? The Milwaukee Bucks. The New and York New York Knicks. Knicks. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, that's the that that's the the thing with the Miami Heat. It feels unsustainable, but sometimes it is. But in order to help us get reset here and, and kind of dive into everything, let's do what we do and let's uh let's cue up that morning box. Morning box score, game one, Eastern Conference Finals. The Miami Heat, the Cinderella, Cinderella slipper still fits. 123 to 116, they take down the Boston Celtics in the TD Garden, take a 1-0 series lead. Of course, we got to talk about Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler was jimmying last night. 35 points, five rebounds, seven assists, six steals, just doing a little bit of everything, gets to the free throw line 10 times. Bam Adebayo, 9 of 13 from the field, 8 rebounds, 20 points, 5 assists for him. Really full night on the stat line. And then as Adam already talked about, the role guys for Miami, just four different guys score 15 points. Max Drews, Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, and Kyle Lowry all chip in with 15 points apiece, including some stellar three-point shooting uh, as the Miami Heat shot 16 of 31 from the three-point line. 
For the Celtics, let's take a look there. Jason Tatum, 30 points, seven rebounds, one assisted, have four turnovers. Got to the line 11 times, though, which is always going to be important. Jalen Brown, 22 points on 10 of 21 shooting, did have nine rebounds and five assists, but unfortunately also had six turnovers, 10 turnovers combined for the Jays. That's always going to be a little bit of a rough mark to kind of get by. Marcus Smart, 13 points, 11 assists for him, 19 points for Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, but simply just not enough adam biggest biggest thing that we have to start with here is that third quarter which we already started to talk touch on here is that third quarter in which it really all fell apart celtics go into the half uh with a lead they were up let me see Celtics were up 66 to 57 at the half third quarter miami goes on a 46 to 25 run they win the quarter 46 to 25 just a a brutal brutal quarter the only quarter miami wins in the entire night the celtics win quarter one two and four but three was such a large disparity that it did not matter the heat are now up 1-0 best of seven so adam looking at that third quarter we heard some of the quotes about mentality and you know Jalen Brown talked about we played it like it was a regular season. It's the Eastern Conference Finals. We need to wake up. And I, I mean, cut, copy, paste. We heard that last round. We heard that last year. I, I don't know why this team does that. And they acknowledge it. So I and they say, I, I can't explain that part of it. But from what you saw on the court, what were the biggest difference makers in that third quarter that that led to such to a record setting 46 points for the Heat? Yeah, I mean, I think the most the most prominent one was definitely transition defense, right? There was a few times where, look, there was a time where Bam caught a rebound. There was about four Celtics defenders closer to the, like the halfway line than him, and Bam outpaced all of them, got downhill, dispatched Marcus Smart with one little bump, and then finished. Under no circumstances, like I get it, Bam's quick, he's shifty, he's got good hands. Greg put it in a really good way. He's a forward used as a big man, not a big man in the traditional sense. But in no circumstances should Bam be outpacing you all the way down the floor while dribbling the ball and not being able to slow him down or at least take away the rim. But that's what happened. There was a few times where that happened. You saw guys kind of slipping out early, like um, Miami were leaking out, nobody was tracking back. And then one of my biggest things was there was a few times where a shot come up. There was a play in the third, Marcus, Marcus Smart, and I wrote about this one in today's Celtics Film Room newsletter. Go check it out. I wrote, um, Marcus Smart threw a lob for Rob in that third. As that pass leaves Marcus's hand, you'd expect guys to start kind of like making their way backwards, right? Even just to the halfway line, half court line. And then you're like, yo, you're in the half court. Now what I need to do is... is if you guys get the rebound, we're already halfway there. We just try and pick you up at a decent size pickup point, make life tough, force you into a half court set. Well, that's not what happened. Instead, everyone stands there and waits to see whether Rob hits the like finishes the lob. Mm-hmm. Everyone from Boston, that is, two guys from Miami leaked out straight away. You know what I mean? And I think that to me was kind of a big issue that I'd want to hit as a talking point was just commitment to transition defense, commitment to those little details, which even Marcus Smart said during his post-game press conference, sometimes we get tired of executing them. But yeah. it's those little details that really hurt you in your transition defense. You'll hear coaches say all the time, build out to the ball. So that means get back in transition. The first guy covers the rim. And then your next two guys back, step up, and then you build out to where the ball is. Don't allow the ball to dictate where your defense is. Get there first and build out towards it. Yeah, uh, it's in in an article today written by uh, by Jared Weiss here. I want I want to quote. I want to steal a line that he has in here because I think it was uh, really representative of this game. 
Boston has the talent to win the series, but the Heat showed the difference between a team that wins three quarters and a squad that plays 48 minutes. And that really was, I think that was a really great line from Jared right there. That is really telling of, of what this was, of what, the, of what happened in this game. And, you know, you talk about getting out in transition, you know, the Celtics certainly didn't do enough of that on offense in the second half. And then you look at Miami being able to kind of flip that for, for themselves. And you saw the Kevin Love outlet passes, right? He had two, three outlet passes in that third quarter that led to easy buckets. And so you look at the Celtics and th- th- their defensive locked in this is not a word but their ability to lock in in the third quarter which just wasn't there and they turned it back on in the fourth quarter a bit and had a much better quarter but why they come out in the third quarter like that it is just very very hard to understand what it is and and, you know to the heat's credit they came out and and they this is this is kind of what we talked about in that ig live right at some point last night miami's gonna punch the celtics in the mouth and say how mentally tough are you and they cracked. They cracked in that third quarter. And Miami stepped on their throat in that third quarter just with their mentality, with that strength. And, and then you saw the Celtics start to have these communicative breakdowns. And I thought the most representative of that was at the end of the third quarter, uh, you know, Max Struess gets a wide open three because Malcolm Brogdon and Al Horford are not sure to go help on Kyle Lowry driving or stick with Cody Zeller at the three-point line. And apparently, for some reason, that caused enough confusion that Horford was helping on the drive. Brogdon was closer to Cody Zeller than he was to closing out on Max Struess. Max Struess gets a massive three to end that third quarter, which was already abysmal. But to end it on that note, you know, just just really kind of summed up, you know, what was happening in that quarter. And then you look just, you know, Miami outscores the Celtics in the paint that quarter, 18 to 10. They outscore them from the three-point line. And this is another big thing, you know, Reggie Miller and the the crew from last night hammered at home. Very similar to game one against Philly last night. Very similar. All the 60-plus points in the paint, uh, under 33-point attempts, 27 last night for the Celtics, almost, I think, identical to what they had against Philly. And the three-point line has has to be an area they cannot lose to the Miami Heat. And they lost last night overall in the game, but 18-9 to in that third quarter. And, you know, as as Greg talked about a few episodes ago, Struce got loose. The Struce juice was out. And this is the thing, right? Like I said at the start of this episode, I don't trust in Miami's role players to do what they did in game one consistently. But the fact that they did it in game one, especially in that third quarter, has to be concerning because this Miami team is defying everyone at the moment. The Boston, as Royce put it, Boston do have the ability to win this series, but the execution just wasn't there on either side of the floor. If you look at what they did offensively, I think one of my biggest issues there was you know, guys are standing around off ball. It's very much that end of it was again, it was very bubble like mm-hmm. high pick and roll offense. The floor spaced exceptionally well. No one's cutting, no one's moving. There's very minimal off ball action going on, no pin downs, no rotations. And then you're letting Tatum go one on five because he's got no kick out options. And I understand that people will be like, well, he has Marcus Smart on one side of the floor, Jalen Brown on the other. But if they're not lifting out of the corner or like sinking in mm-hmm. to kind of mirror where the passing lane should be and where Jason Tatum's vision is. What do you expect from the guy? And that was a that was an issue in the third. The sorry, I'm getting the fourth on the and the fourth. Yeah, um, I, um, I just honestly that whole offensive system kind of fell to pieces. Now I'm not saying that it was great in the first half. I felt that the game was quite even. Boston pulled away a bit in in the second, but for the most part, it was a tight game. 
And then that third quarter comes, Boston come into it with, what, a nine-point lead at, mm-hmm. after the half. And then all of a sudden, Miami just turned up the intensity. And what can you do? I mean, what, Joe Mazzulli didn't make many adjustments. There weren't loads of timeouts being called. I, I don't... I get that everyone's yeah, like... I mean, I, I, I think that's low-hanging fruit at this point. Yeah, and well, here's the thing, because we've talked about it a bunch, right? I, I do think the timeouts is a thing. I don't think last night that was the issue. I, I, I just really no, don't. me neither. I, you know, I, I think in that, because in that third quarter, when Miami made some of these runs, I think they had that early 13 to one run in the, in the first four minutes of the second quarter, you know, maybe that's an area where, where a timeout could have tried, but, but at least attempted to quell momentum. But other than that, I, I, I didn't really see too many glaring parts of that quarter where a timeout was, was blatantly obvious and needed to be used, um, I mean, it could have, but but I just don't think that's the that that was last night. That was the biggest issue. I, I just really don't. Um, I, I do think Spo out coached Missoula, but uh, once again, that's kind of expected from a 15 year legendary head coach versus a 34 year old rookie. You're going to have moments like that, Adam. You talked about there's going to be a Spo game, there's going to be a Jimmy game, there's probably going to be a Spo and a Jimmy game. I, I think we got a little bit closer to that Spo and Jimmy game. But, but let's take a quick break here, and then let's come back. Let's, let's, let's keep going on. So we'll take a break for one second. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So we're talking right now, Adam, we've got Spo and Jimmy having, you know, really big nights last night. And and let's talk about Jimmy for a minute here, because, you know, what this guy's doing in the playoffs is just insane. And by the way, unbelievable call by, by Kevin Harlan, Jimmy freaking Butler. Like that was pretty cool. I, you know, as much as it hurt in the moment that that was pretty cool. But I, I think the biggest thing, and I'm curious to your thoughts on how the Celtics can correct this. Jimmy last night far, far too easily got to all of his spots, capital H-I-S, his spots. Wherever he wanted to go, he got there. And I think a little bit of this is going to tie back into Missoula a little bit and some of the lineup choices that were out there as well. Uh, Two guys that it really felt like 
you know, Jimmy Butler had had his eyes set out on attacking where anytime Rob Williams in the game, you know, we can talk about Rob's game here for a little bit because there's some good. And I think there's some bad with that from last night. You know, Jimmy was relentlessly hunting Rob Williams last night and Rob did not have much answers for him. Um, and even though Peyton Pritchard was going to, you know, we, we talked, Adam, you were spot on. Peyton Pritchard was going to get some run in the series, got some run last night. And, you know, I have some thoughts uh, about that, but there certainly were a couple of times where Jimmy went to that matchup and either shot over it or made the Celtics double. And he's just smart enough. He's going to make the right play. And, and we've talked about the role players stepping up. So, you know, wh- what were your thoughts on how easily Jimmy got to his spots last night and, and what can be done to, you know, to deter that look in the game too? Yeah, I mean, the first thing that got me was how Horford and Tatum were kind of the guys picking him up instead of Smart and Brown. I thought that was a... Like, Missoula was definitely going for length and strength more than athleticism and grit in putting Horford and Tatum on him. I think that it's easy to look at Jimmy and his age and think that, hey, we need to kind of get into him a little bit more with length, disrupt him because he's not going to be able to exploit past you. But that's just not the case. Jimmy is super explosive, still very strong, very quick. Um, I was going to say quick, quifty, shifty and quick <laughs> is what I was going for. I mean, honestly, uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty good uh, description right there. Maybe we just yeah, quifty, going to, you know, get, get Merriam on the line. We got a, we got a new, uh, we got a new word for you. So I'd expect to see, t- sorry, I'd expect to see Brown maybe pick up that assignment in game two. I think that, a lot of it comes down to your help defense as well. One of the things that Miami were doing really well, and we see Boston try and do it, and they're just, they're not there yet, is run secondary actions on the weak side. You know, like you saw in that third quarter alone, I think they run a flappy action three times. Miami did. Um, each time with um, either Struess or Gabe Vincent coming off the flappy screens. And two of the three times it was a decoy. It was to get the defense to overload clog passing lanes so then you can feed Bam Adebayo, or you can feed Jimmy, like, or screen for Jimmy to curl, and there's multiple options coming out of that, but what happens is you're removing the, the nail help, you're removing guys digging in to take away the middle and to really pressure you to pick up the ball early and make a decision on the move. Uh, Boston need to be a lot more, I'd say, disciplined there, you know, you've got mm-hmm. you still got to react to what's going on the week, on the week so, because if you don't react, that becomes the primary action, that's the whole point of doing it. But you've got to kind of not overcommit. Keep your eye wet. Keep your eye on what's going on on the strong side, and then st- throw smart on him. Throw Brown on him, and stay more compact defensively. The double big lineup just didn't work defensively yeah, in this game at all. That's, I think that's the next area I want to go to here because that's that's certainly an area that it, it felt like trouble. And you know, even in that first half where we where we haven't touched on you know too much because obviously the third quarter dominated the headlines. But in that first half, when it felt like things were going really well, the benefit of that double big was was Rob was dominating on the offensive glass. Rob had an amazing night on the offensive glass, but defensively, you know, Miami was finding a way to take advantage of what had been such a strength for the Celtics in in past series. And that kind of leads into some of the rotation decisions that Missoula was making, in my opinion, you know, throughout the game to try to counteract that. And to try to get back to in certain areas playing with one big and at certain and at different times in both the first half and second half, you know, he, he went with Peyton Pritchard. No problem with that. I I think Peyton Pritchard's a guy that we've talked about before. He's way overqualified for, for what he is on this team. And, and I think I think he, certainly offensively last night, he felt like a fish out of water. No idea where, what his responsibility was supposed to be, whether he should be shooting, penetrating. It, it was clear he was very tentative, in my opinion. And then defensively, you know, it, it, it was a little bit strange that at times, if you're going to play Peyton Pritchard, 
you're going to go with two other guards rather than both Jays to have a little bit more size. It was, you know, him with, and the second half where I wrote down, it was him, I believe it was him, Brogdon and White with Jalen and then Rob, you know, so it feels like you'd want to size up a little bit, even though we've talked about the guards on this team, the combo guards, the three of them can all kind of guard up in their own way. But that was still kind of an interesting decision for me. And this gets back to, you know, where's Grant Williams? Uh, you know, I, I, feel I wish like, I knew. I mean, it feels like that's an area where, where Grant could have been of use. And, you know, just the automatic assumption at this point that Grant's closer to a DNP than getting 10 minutes. It's still really hard to fathom the exact reasons behind that. Um, I mean, it feels like once again, we talk about, you know, who Jimmy might switch on to. Not by any means saying Grant's shutting down Jimmy, but that's a strong physical body that he's going to feel at least. Uh, whereas, you know, whether it's Rob, he can get that that quick shifty action you talked about, or a guy like Peyton, and, he, and, and even and even Derek White, he's going to overpower Derek White uh, as much as Derek White's going to be going to be in his grill and is going to give make him work. Jimmy's going to overpower Derek White, so I think Grant's another guy that the Celtics have to consider. And you know, what were your thoughts on on Missoula's decisions to play Pritchard and then try to balance? the double bigs not working in, in, in different different lineups that he went to last night. Yeah, I mean, I said on the OG Live last night, this series to me makes sense for Pritchard in terms of giving him a bit of a role to attack Gabe Vincent, giving him a role to attack Kyle Lowry, because I don't think that, especially Lowry, I don't think he's going to be able to keep up with Pritchard on defense. He's going to try and draw flops. He's going to be very good positionally, but if Pritchard gets him off the dribble, I think Lowry's going to struggle. So I understood giving Pritchard an opportunity. I also agree that he just looked completely like a fish out of water. But this is what happens when you're out of the rotation for so long and then put into a position where it's like, dude, this is the instant conference finals. You've played 12 minutes of playoff basketball. For like, What are we doing here? Like, You're just throwing things at the wall again. But as I said on the IG Live last night, you know, Mizuna makes a change. He's ridiculed for it. You don't know what you're doing. You haven't got an answer. But if it doesn't make a change, we're calling for him to make a change. The dude can't win. So I'm not going to rip on on Missoula's decision. I think it was theoretically it made sense in a small sample size. Grant Williams, I'm not going to say who I was speaking to, but I spoke to um, a Division One coach earlier today, just kind of like, hey, why isn't Grant Williams playing? Like Again, he could do a job against Bam. He could do a job against Jimmy. He's one of the stronger guys on the floor. And the answer I got back was, I've got no fucking clue. Yeah, like, and we're talking. This is a high-ranking Division One coach. He's not a head coach, but he's on one of the best teams mm-hmm. in the, in the in, in Division One. Um, I don't know what division they're playing. Because ACC, I'm, yeah, in the ACC, because I'm not in America. Um, <laughs> but you know, even people that are in the industry don't really have an answer. Maybe Joe and Grant just don't see eye to eye. Maybe there's something going on that we're not sure of, not aware of. But this feels like at this point. If Grant's not getting minutes now, his season's basically done. You're an emergency valve then. It went, oh, nothing else is working. Let's put Grant in. To me, he should have been a core part of this rotation all the way through. I had him marked down as the eight, like a seventh or eighth guy in the rotation. Oh, easily. I mean, we all start. Yeah. Like, I'm we all just, did. I mean, we all, I think the way that most of us looked at it, we've been saying a lot, there's seven starters on this team, right? You have seven guys that could be stars on almost any team. Grant's not in that, but he's the first one that you would consider a very solid substitution reserve spot starter. He 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 was right in that that level just below. And so to go from where he was at to to like I said, it's it's almost expected he's getting a DNP each game. And if we do see him, which I think there's a chance we see him in game two. Listen, Missoula has, you know, taken a lot of criticism and 
there's times where he where he takes that in and, and he makes adjustments. He does, you know. But is it going to be in the game? Not always. But you know, I, I I would be very surprised if we didn't see Grant for at least some time. And that's the thing. I'm not. I don't think either of us are sitting here, Adam, saying why is Grant Williams not playing 25 to 30 minutes. But we're saying for a guy that was playing you know, 20 to 25 minutes pretty regularly in the regular season. He's not out there for 10 to 12 minutes a game. Like that just seems like there's, there's some type of, of, of disconnect. And I don't know if that, that changes the game last night, but I think it certainly stood out because in the 12 minutes that Peyton Pritchard played, it, it was kind of unclear as to, you know, even though, even if this is a good matchup, like you're saying, it was kind of unclear as to what his role was when you actually look at that game last night, what, what, would, what did they want to do with Pritchard? It, it was, it was pretty unclear to me. Yeah, it felt like, look, I said on the OG Live, if you're going to use Pritchard, you use him as an off-ball screener, and you use him as a spot-up shooter. Those are the two reasons you put him on the floor. You're not asking him to be a ball handler at this point in the year. You're not asking him to initiate plays at this point in the year. Sure, if if it flows into that, then you're not going to try and escape out of it. You, You have trust in him. That's why he's on the floor. But primarily... His role is we're going to run a small to big screen, an inverted screen, so then we're going to create a good mismatch. It's something that Udoka used Pritchard for extensively during the playoffs last season. And then we're going to try and hit Pritchard on the pop. It, but with Grant, you've got so much more you can do. You can go to your own elbow series with Grant the same way you do with Tatum. You can go to flex actions to get Grant driving baseline with the ball because he added that to his game this year. There's so many... like wrinkles that Grant brings to that offense that could have helped against a Miami defense that when it went zone and it zoned up, it mm-hmm. did kind of shake Boston a little bit for a while. And you expect that. We spoke about that. Boston yeah. found a way to break it open. And, you know, I've heard some people, I've seen some people be like, this is a zone defense. You shouldn't be playing this in the NBA. You play it in high school. It knocked out the Milwaukee Bucks. It knocked out the New York Knicks. And it has previously knocked out the Celtics. Yeah. So if it works, you run with it. I, I look, That's the so adjustment. Yeah, and like you know, you, you're quick enough to call him the best coach in the NBA, but then you ridicule his defensive adjustments. I, don't, I just it makes no sense. Yeah, to me. but so, so I understand. Pritch, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just rambling at that point anyway. Well, no, I was, I was, I was going to say. So, you know, we're we're talking about Peyton Pritchard here, but I think we do need to, you know, because we'll see what the adjustment is going into game two when it comes to to the lineups. Yeah. Is it Pritchard? Is it Grant? You know, I I don't think that's a. Uh, it's certainly a part of what happened last night. Not the main reason. Let's go to a few other aspects here, you know, from the Celtics standpoint. And the next one I want to go to is, so there's this guy on the Celtics. He scored 51 points in game seven, three days ago. He's humbly one of the best players in the world. Humbly. Second half of last night, he has four field goal attempts in the entire second half last night. Now listen, I, that's, uh, he got to the line eight times. So some of these field goal attempts, he did. He did obviously, you know, take four more shots. You know, getting to the free throw line or you know, driving to the basket. But four shots for Jason Tatum. You know, even though Marcus Smart, Malcolm Brogdon in the second half went three of six. You know, Jalen Brown was five of eleven. That's that's okay. Like th- there just needs to be more Jason Tatum, and and it felt like from a large stretch of the third into the first half of the fourth quarter. Tatum just wasn't touching the ball enough for a guy that just scored 51 points in game seven and for the guy who went on a heater in game six to save your season, you know, after he nearly destroyed it himself, to be fair. But he then saved your season in game six against the Sixers. And and then by the time he he started touching the ball again, he fell apart. He had some really bad turnovers at the end of that. So 
you know, it, it's a little confusing to, to to figure out what to make of this Jason Tatum game because once again, stat line looks really good, looks really nice. 30 points, you know, bunch of rebounds, some assists, you know, the four turnovers. The timing of them was more the issue than than I think the amount because they came three pretty consecutively, you know, in that in that fourth quarter. But 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 what do you make of Tatum's game from last night? Yeah, I mean, first things first, that taking those four field goals in the second half, Shaq addressed that in the TNT post game. I don't know if you've seen that on YouTube. And he was like, Tatum's got a demanded damn ball. He's got to be like, I am your star player. You give me the ball. I'm going to work. And you're going to run actions that spring me open because I'm the guy that can win us the, se- win us the game and win us the series. And I think that for all the good that Tatum's mentality and demeanor of team first and everything does and how unselfish he is, there are times where you need him to be like, no, I'm going to do this. And I get it. Sometimes it's not going to work because Tatum can be inconsistent. But I felt like last night he was, he kind of carried that, that 51 point performance in. He came in with a bit of a swagger. He was looking to attack. That to me is the key. I understand when Jalen Brown doesn't have great, uh, lots of shots down the stretch. And I'm, and I'm very, very vocal about he should get the ball more in the third and fourth quarters when he doesn't, but under no circumstances should your number one guy only be taking four shots down the stretch. And the weird part about it was, right, because like you said, we've asked for certain times Jalen Brown should be more involved than, than he is. And I think last night they started the fourth quarter kind of working through Jalen Brown, right, in that first half. Yeah, of that, they featured him a lot quarter. more than what they usually do. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but the, the nights that we're typically asking for it are the nights where, and Jalen Brown was was okay in this game. It, it wasn't his greatest game. It wasn't his worst game. but you know, the nights that we're typically asking for are the nights where Jalen's just cooking everybody. Jalen all of a sudden looks like old school T-Mac and we're, and for some reason we're throwing him in the corner or he's, you know, he's off ball, not really touching it. And that's when it gets really confusing. You know, right now, we, when we talked about this uh, pregame, Tatum gets on these runs where he just gets really, really hot and, you know, building off game six into game seven, you know, I'd want Jason Tatum to touch the ball as much as possible and get 25 to 30 shots last night. That personally would have been something that that I'm looking for. And, you know, collectively as a whole, I know Missoula's not going to be happy with the amount of three-point attempts the Celtics had last night. Part of that, I think, was in design by Miami because that's what Eric Spolster probably has seen, that, hey, when this team, you know, shoots under, you know, 33s, they want to shoot 40-plus. They want to shoot 40 to 50. You know, holding the Celtics under 30 attempts – that's a minor victory in itself, right? That's that's a victory for for Spo and, and the Heat coaching staff. And you know, only three three point attempts from Jason Tatum last night. Uh, you know, whether this is and this is the thing that I never it is really hard to determine as a fan watching from home. Is this a Jason Tatum thing, as Shaq is saying, or is this a Joe Missoula thing where there, there needs to be more either plays or emphasis on getting Tatum the ball, or does Tatum need to be that dude who comes out and says, "Get the f out of my way, give me the ball, I'm Jason F and Tatum." Well, from what I've seen watching the, I, I, I'd say since early in the second round, Missoula's gone quite heavily away from calling plays from the sidelines. Mm-hmm. So, like, and I know this because I go, I scrub through games to try and note down plays that I can then break down on a social media post. And they are very concept based. I get the way yeah. the team plays is kind of random based. in the, in the Marcus Smart sense that he, he yeah, it's very much games. like, hey, we see this, we're going to flow into this, right? But then you look at what Miami did, and Miami were running so much good stuff that was clearly by design. It was principle-based, but they were flowing into it. And I think that's kind of a disconnect with where the Celtics are right now, right? They've got 
their scheme. They've got their principles in place. They know that it's like um, it's like a flowchart, right? You can go to multiple different options. If this, then that. Yeah. Or, or this, and then you have two options. Yeah, and, if yeah. this, then that, or that. Like it's like code. Mm-hmm. But I think that they haven't adjusted to having such a fluid freedom of choice in their play that they flow into those actions. They they'd sooner flow into like a pick and roll. And then maybe they'll run something else, right? Mm-hmm. And then you watch Miami play, and they're featuring Jimmy Butler off of a floppy or a flex, or they ran one where it was a flare into an exit, which then ended up in a gut DHO. And you're like, dude, you just ran three different actions just to create a driving lane. Like it had nothing else to do with the fact other than opening a lane for Jimmy to get down. Boston have, have to get to that level. Especially if you're trying to feature a guy like Tatum that's going to have so much defensive attention on him naturally, the same way Jimmy does. Mm-hmm. You need to string together actions. You need to string together different ideas that each could turn into a scoring opportunity themselves. But if, if they don't, that's because you've, you're fine with that because it was always ran to give Tatum an opportunity to get to his spot. right? And I feel like they just didn't do that. I don't know whether that's a lack of decision-making. I think Smart done a great job of assist uh, playmaking in the first half, then just completely fell off the grid in the second. What was it? Ten assists in the first one in the... F- t- ten assists, zero turnovers in the in the first half, only one assist in the second half. And this is the thing, right? I think if you want good things to happen, when you get a game like that from Marcus Smart, you bleed it dry. Mm-hmm. You try and get him into that 15, 16, 17 assist range. That's hard to do. I'm not saying he would have got there last night, but I'm saying that he, he could have been close and yeah. maybe you you find extra scoring opportunities. You don't then just be like Tatum, just take a back seat, which is what you were asking. And I went around about way of saying it. Like, I don't think this is a Tatum or Missoula thing. I think this is a Tatum and Missoula thing. I think Tatum should be calling plays that free him up or demanding the ball and then initiating something himself. And if Missoula sees it's not working, you don't even need to call a timeout. Just shout out a play from the sidelines. Do you know what I mean? Or yeah. shout out a series. Like we're going elbow. Okay, cool. Whatever they their code word for elbow is, right? We're going to feed Tatum on the elbow. Now we're going to do some shit around it. So it's an and problem, not an either or, in my personal opinion. No, I, I like that. I think that's probably right. Tatum and Missoula. I think that's that's probably a, a pretty good way to put it. Uh, before we move on here and take a quick break and go to uh, setting up game two, one other thing I just feel like has to be noted here. Uh, Al Horford, man, that cold streak. I thought it, we were moving away from it. Still there, one of five last night. You know, it, obviously he's so important on on the defensive end, but the Al Horford regressing to a sub thirty percent three point shooter in the postseason um, has been really backbreaking for this offense. And uh, you know that that's something I think we just have to keep continue to keep an eye on. Antarctic Al. Antarctic Al. I like that. I like that. Unfortunately, hopefully we need we need we need to change that. We need we need we need Equator Al. We need we need Equator Al back back in the picture here. But uh, all right, let's take a quick break and then let's uh let's let's set up game two for everybody. All right, Adam. So Celtics, Celtics doing what the Celtics do, right? They 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 make they make it tough on themselves, and that's part of the reason why I think you and I are pretty calm right now, having having this conversation today. Just you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I expected I, I said the series was going to go seven because I, I don't know why. That's the, that's the blatant truth. I just I, it's going to go seven, and I don't know why. 
the Celtics tend to do this. They make things harder on themselves. They are their own worst enemies. And, you know, Eric Spolstra is a maestro and Jimmy are maestros of of flipping your your weaknesses against you. And that's what we're going to see several times in this series. It's going to happen again in, in some form or fashion. Uh, but looking ahead to game two here, now what becomes a must-win game, which to the Celtics' credit, when they put themselves in these places for adversity, more often than not, they show up. Then they show up in a big way. And I'm expecting that again. I'm expecting the Celtics to to rebound with a very, a very loud game, too. I think this will be a game that they they really put their mark on. You know, Miami knows they came, they've already accomplished what their first goal is, you know, which is to just get a split. That's the first thing. If they can if they can win two, Jimmy's certainly gonna go for that throat. But you know, they've accomplished the the main goal coming in here. So let's I, I had a couple questions I want I want to run through here. We've touched on some of these throughout. Now I kind of want to know, Adam, what would you do if you were Joe Missoula? If you slept with duct tape on your mouth, what would be the answer that you come to in the morning when you arise as to what to do on Friday night at the TD Garden? Let's start with the starting lineup. Move to the double big, back to the double big, I should say, in game six uh, of the Philadelphia series. Obviously, that worked for game six, game seven. Celtics advanced the Eastern Conference Finals. We talked about earlier it not having, or it, it being a struggle at times, especially with Jimmy Hunting Rob. Let's starting lineup game two. Do you think it stays the same, or or does Missoula go for a change already? If I'm Missoula, I stick with it. I think it sends a bad message to your guys after the first loss since going back to double big to then nix it. That shows that you did it. Like you've got to understand, the, 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 a lot of the players were very vocal about their happiness in having Rob back in that starting five. Yeah, that like, was actually really interesting to hear that when uh, about how uh, how much of a difference it made just going to then how much the the players have wanted this apparently for for a longer time than we knew. So going away from that after one loss to me seems super counterproductive. I think it could have a ripple effect in morale. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd stick with that personally. Now, just because you start double B doesn't mean you have to stay there very long. You could run it for three minutes and then pull Rob, pull Al, whatever you need to do, right? But I'd have a game plan that it'd be like, right, if Al's not shooting great to begin, then I'm going to pull Al early, put Grant in, get Grant to play that Al role where Al, where Grant can take the same type of freeze, Grant mm-hmm. can do the same type of defense. We call him baby Al for a reason, right? This was the guy that was up until about six or eight weeks ago, or maybe a bit longer, maybe 12 weeks ago at this point, was seen as the, the long-term replacement for Al. So I'd literally do a like-for-like replacement. You lose a bit with the defensive IQ. You gain a bit because Grant's actually not Antarctic right now, and that's not a dig on Al. He's been Perhaps. Fantastic. We don't know. We haven't, we, haven't, we haven't seen Grant play at all. Well, I'd expect, so was, know, I'd expect but... Grant to be like, yeah, I'm going to make 15 frees over the next two games just to kind of rub Joe's nose in it, right? Well, here's um, the thing. We know he'll take him. We know he'll yeah. take him. I mean, we look back to Game 7 last year against Milwaukee, the, the famous Game 7. You know, if, if he needs to take 18 threes, which I don't, hopefully that won't be every game, but if he needs to, he will. And so, I, you know, I agree with you. I think I, I think it's too early, even if we saw some holes in that double big last night uh, yeah. against lineup against Bill, against the, excuse me, against Miami. You know, I, I think it's too early for that. Like you said, it Maybe there's an adjustment later in the series to go away from it, but right now, I, I I don't think you do. But that was me. My next question was talking about Grant. I think you are you already hit that. Is that the adjustment is if you want to stay big, you maybe replace the Pritchard minutes with Grant Williams minutes. Um, I, I mean, you can find a way to have them both in the court as well. But I, I think at the very minimum, you I would at least flip those or or find a way to to put them even out there together. You know, because I think if you do go Pritchard, I think you need a little bit more size in the court. I thought they were they were a little bit 
too small when they're running Peyton Pritchard out there with two other guards. So I'd also just want to put in there that I try and stagger the Robert and Brogdon minutes as much as possible. Yeah, it's not a great defensive combo. Not yet. Defense is bad, but also offensively, you're not really getting the full rub effect because of how much Brogdon looks off him. Um, I thought that when those two came off the bench together, it was a bit disjointed because of that. Rob wasn't in a position to Mm -hmm. succeed. Brogdon would come in like it never really happened, but he was in a position to get some unfair criticism for playing the way he plays, you know, playing the way you brought him into play. Yeah, I mean, the Brogdon thing is interesting, right? Because I, I, I think even last night, even though his stat line, he had 19 points last night and, you know, he was one of the few guys that was, you know, that shot the ball pretty well last night. Some of his decision-making was, was a little bit questionable. I, yeah. I felt like, um, but, but to your point, I think some of that's a byproduct of what we've asked him to be exactly for, the, for, and, for this team. And then putting him alongside a big that he's not going to utilize that that big majority of his offense comes from being utilized as a role man. It's it's unfair on both parties. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um Brogdon to me would play better alongside a Grant or a Horford where there's a pick pick and pop big that's yeah. not gonna clog up the lane a little bit that doesn't rely on kick like lob passes and dump offs to get the majority of their like impact offensively. Yeah. Uh, that makes more sense to me. So I try and that'd be the only other major change I made was stagger the Rob and Brogdon minutes. If yeah. I'm, not if not, I'm not Brogdon a lot of in, uh, Brogdon to Robert Williams lobs that I can I can picture off the top of my head right. I now. ran the stats by you the other week. Do you remember? I kind of I I done the numbers. I don't remember off the top of my head now. I don't remember off the top of my head either, but it was like 5% of the pick and rolls that Rob mm-hmm. and Brogdon have been in. Brogdon's assisted Rob. Yeah. That, I mean, and it, was, it was just low. Yeah. I mean, that sounds about right. So I think that is, that is a good call out to try to, to try to stagger those. And I think we will see more lineups in which, you know, the Celtics are only going traditionally one big, whatever you want to call, you know, Grant Williams, if he gets some minutes out there, but let's look to the other side for the Miami bigs, the guy that we haven't really talked about. those was Bam Adebayo. I thought Bam played, uh, a pretty solid game last night. You know, one of the keys that I talked about was making him a scorer, which is a little bit playing with fire. Because I, you know, I said the similar thing about PJ Tucker. That's a whole different beast. PJ Tucker stands in one spot, does nothing. You know, that that was just you know something that really got at me that he didn't take a single shot in Game One of last series. But that's last series. We're done with that. This series, Bam Adebayo, you know, he takes thirteen shots. It's like it was nine of thirteen. You know, I, I think for me, I still think there is a long game in making Bam into a scorer. But he got a lot of easy shots last night. Let's just be real about it. They didn't force him to take a lot of mid-range jumpers. And I think that's the area that you need to get to 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 try to force his hand a little bit to be more of that score. But, you know, to his credit, to Jimmy's credit, to the to the Heat credit, they found ways to be able to utilize him, you know, so that he was still getting he was scoring. He was being aggressive, but he was getting very good looks while doing it. And this is very similar to Jimmy getting his shots. Bam got shots that he's an all-star, right? Like it is playing with fire saying, Hey, can, can Bam go score points? Yeah, of course he can, especially when you give him easy looks, but can you make him score them in ways that he's not used to? So I'm curious to know what your thoughts were on, on the approach to Bam in game one, which Sam Van Gundy called out a lot. So we're, we're happy to go kind of one-on-one with him and, and not bring that double. And what would you do in, in, in game two? And what do you think is the best strategy going forward against Bam? Yeah, so we spoke about this on IG again. Like, I'm not trying to plug IG that much. I'm really not. But a lot of these discussion points we kind of overlooked um, yesterday. So I just kind of want to 
everyone like people and who if you guys listening. want to come come tune in on friday we'll have an ig live i don't know if you guys have heard we do ig live before most <laughs> but the thing is people that are listening now won't most likely have been present during that ig live so one of the things that we discussed was what way will miami utilize bam in game one right and the options we kind of laid out was he's going to be a rebound uh, like they're going to put him on the glass ask him to rebound get second chance points be the kick out guy to keep creating second chance opportunities or they're going to ask him to be a face up guy that attacks off the dribble or they're going to utilize him as like a hub and obviously they're going to do all three but they were going to feature him in one of those three ways primarily right that pick and roll role man who's going to face up and do stuff off the dribble blah 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 that was primarily how they used him in game one was hey we want you to face up we want you to do your dribble skills we want you to try and score off the, off the dribble pressure that defense it's a man one-on-one coverage there's no point to really deferring your handoff actions or anything so the first thing i'd do was adjust my pickup points try and use the sideline as an extra defender especially when he's playing on the wings so so if you need to ice him a little bit try and do that but primarily for me it's it's all about the pickup points it's all about not letting Bam catch the ball where he's comfortable. He's going to get to his spots. If he catches the ball comfortably, he's going to get to where he needs to go. So it's all about figuring out how to push him away from those pickup points on that catch. They, the Celtics did a really good job of that against Embiid, where Embiid liked that nail, yeah. um, the nail catch, and like Tatum or someone will get underneath him and kind of make him take two or three steps away from the nail. So now you've got to take two or three dribbles just to get to where you wanted to get the ball in the first place. Throws you out of rhythm, puts you into more of a thinking game, and then you can start sending help as he puts the ball on the floor. You can dig, you can switch, you can do a couple of different things. That would be the first way I look to try and beat Bam while they're trying to use him and put the ball on the floor. And then it's up to Spo to change the change Bam's role. Yeah, which, I mean, as we've seen, I'm sure he'll find a way to adjust. But you oh, have to make him seconds. Adjust. I mean, you have to make him adjust. You have to make him, much like you're talking about, you have to make Bam think. You have to at least make Spo think. Make it make it as challenging on him as you can. But, yeah, I mean, Bam was Bam was really good in this game. You know, I, I don't think this was an A-plus a Bam game. I think we've seen we saw one of those last year, and I can't think it was game three, maybe in in the series last year. But but between Bam and Jimmy, you know, when you look at the stars, and and that's really where Miami they have to get production from their two stars, and then it comes down, you know, to their role players. And usually, it's can we get two out of the four? They have four role guys that all pop last night, and that's where the Celtics are in a lot of trouble because you know if if Jimmy and Bam are going to have the games they did, which are you know play for playoff Jimmy and Bam. Those are those are the average games, right? Those are the average games that you can expect. And then it comes down to the role guys. And when they get 60 points out of, you know, Max Struess, Gabe Vincent, and Caleb Martin, and Kyle Lowry, that's really tough for the Celtics to to overcome, you know, if those guys are gonna pop. So we've talked about Jimmy. We've talked about Bam. You know, when you look at the role guys, last night, Max Struess goes three of five from three. Gabe Vincent goes three of five from three. Caleb Martin goes three of seven from three. Kyle Lowry goes three of five from three. You said before, and I and I agree with you, minus Struess, because Struess, I think, is, is actually, you know, when he's on, he can be an elite shooter. You know, Vincent, Martin, Lowry, those guys, I think it's a little bit more expected that they could regress. If you're going to give Struess open looks, though, Struess will knock him down. The other guys, I think there, there could be a little bit more regression to the mean. But when we look at the role players, which are being consistently set up by Bam and Jimmy and a couple of those Kevin Love outlet passes, what do you think is the counter for the Celtics with, with those role guys? What what can they do to to kind of keep them at bay and, and, and not let all of them go off? Because that, that's when the Celtics are going to have a really hard time. That's when Miami is going to be able 
to get to that offense. That that's sometimes where they struggle finding offense. But last night, no trouble doing that. What what's the answer in game two? Honestly, there isn't one. If if the role players are going to go off, they're going to go off. Now, the thing that got to me was role players generally play better at home than they do yeah. in like an away game. That wasn't the case. You know, multiple role players find their rhythm in this game. So finding ways to make those passes a little bit later, make them a little bit lower or a little bit higher. The best, the main thing a, a spot shooter wants is to receive the pass directly in their shooting pocket. So if you're impacting Jimmy and Bam enough to make those passes a little bit more errant, to make them a little bit more so you have to stretch to get them or you have to come off or low. Mm-hmm. Well, now there's an extra step involved. There's no rhythm. That rhythm's broken. Do that consistently. Put them in a position where they have to work to get their shots, even just as simple as catching the ball. Find a way to, you know, if they're running Max Struess off double screens, find a way to meet him at the line. For, if you have to peel switch, fine, do it. Joe Mazzuto doesn't seem to be a huge fan of peel switching, but I think that against Miami, it's going to be something you need to implement at times when they're bringing guys off stagger screens that are so good, like Max Drews, at getting their hips aligned to the basket, literally as they're spotting up to catch the ball, everything just lines up. I also think if Strews starts going off, to hell with Grant Williams, match fire with fire, put Sam Hauser in there, and then kind of run similar actions, and let's see, you know, if you want a shootout, it's going to have to be that way. Yeah. But <laughs> it's like a Western. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have you ever seen Legend with um, Tom Hardy? I have not, no. Oh, so there's a scene in there, like, um, so it's based on the craze from London. Like, to, to, there were twins, London gangsters back in the old days. Okay. But there's a scene in there, you can search it up, it's everywhere. And uh, they turn up at a bar, like a pub, an English pub, for a shootout. And one of the guys brings, like, a metal bar instead of a gun. And <laughs> this guy, and uh, Tom Hardy, one of his characters, is like, a shootout is a fucking shootout. It's like a Western. And uh, when I said it, that kind of was what I was alluding <laughs> to. Um, you got to watch it better than me. I'll check uh, it out. But for sure, like that's what I'd do. I'd look to make it difficult for guys on the catch. And that doesn't necessarily mean pressuring the role players because you can't leave the stars open or right. add less pressure to a star by throwing digs and doubles and what have right. you. It's to a degree, it's a tip of the cap last night, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, hey, you guys you did us. what we don't expect you to do, right? But it's, it's, it's something as simple as making a pass be a bit too fast or a bit too high that can give you that extra 0.5 of a second, that extra second to, for you to rotate back out and actually be able to impact the shot because there's a difference between contesting a shot and impacting a shot. Yeah. You know, so that extra point. These, these are the little things that Marcus Smart was was, yeah, was talking exactly. about that they just didn't lock into. On the third, I talked about you know that I think that Max. If you want to go back and watch the last shot of the third quarter, that's a perfect representation of what we're talking about. That Max Drew's corner three with Brogdon and Horford just just not being connected on 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 what on what the call was, and that leads to as we're, as Adams laying out here. You know, those role players having a chance to go off. So, you know, having said that, Adam, let's let, let's put a bow on, on this episode here. We got game two, Friday night, the TD Garden. Give me your prediction about what you think happens. Tatum 51 points leads you to a massive <laughs> win. So game, just game seven replay. Game seven yep. on replay. I mean, I think we've just seen the script with this team time and time again, right? Celtics win by double digits. I And listen, like, I feel... I've said this before. Me and Adam, I, I don't feel terrible about last I don't feel great, certainly, about last night. But I also don't feel terrible. I don't feel the way I felt after Game 5 against Philly. I don't feel the way that I felt uh, at the end of Game 4 against Philly and the way that that collapsed. 
I don't feel the way I felt after game five against Atlanta and how that all went down. I, I just don't feel that way. I know that it was a really, really bad quarter and the execution, you know, w- was certainly lacking and there was too many turnovers in that fourth quarter. It was, it was just kind of a mess offensively, but you know, I still feel good about this series. This is, I think just mentally, because this is our third go round with the heat. I'm just more mentally prepared that even though we've been on multiple shows, multiple IG lives, which we'll be back doing again on Friday, in case you haven't heard IG live Friday before the game, we'll be on there. And you know, the Celtics should have the advantage in almost everywhere besides coaching. And this should be a series that the Celtics win in five, six games. It's just not going to happen. It's not, it's going six or seven. Let me just point this out as well. Yeah. When the Celtics lose, it's a tough loss. They fight. They have a bad quarter. Like Joe said, we won three or four, but the third, the one we lost was the one that cost us the game. When Boston win, it's demoralizing for the other mm-hmm. team. They don't just eke out a victory. They really, really take it. They, they spank you. They put you over their knee, and they really let you have it. So that, to me, is going to be a test for Miami. I don't think they've had a true ass-kicking during this postseason mm-hmm. run that I've seen, where it's been like, Yo, you for everything you had at us, but we, you know, we came in with a chip on our shoulder because you beat us in the last game and we absolutely destroyed you. And I think if Boston do that, then the momentum swings all the way in their favor, even at a tied series, because Miami, I don't think Miami have had Miami have had their jaw rocked yet. It's mm-hmm. gonna it's gonna be one of the first haymakers they've really taken this run. And that to me is gonna tell you a lot more about how this series is gonna go. I predicted Celtics in six. I'm not changing that prediction. Yeah, uh, and, I got season seven, and I stand by it because I don't think the series is going to make any damn sense. No, so, of I, course not. I, so just strap in, folks. We're going to be here for two weeks with you guys breaking down this series. <laughs> that's that, that's basically what what I, what I think is going to happen and why last night was, was not entirely surprising. But game two, Celtics got to punch back. There, There's no other way. There's no other, you know, there's no other way. They just have to, they got to find that fight. They got to jump back into it. And when they do, we'll be here to break it all down. So we will be following along game by game here. We will have you guys covered on YouTube. Make sure you are following, subscribing on Spotify, Apple, wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Uh, and then as Adam noted, IG Live will be doing most of our pregame shows on IG Live, uh, usually a couple hours before tip. Just follow us on our social medias. We'll let you know the timings of those each day. But Adam, That's going to do it for this one. Celtics down 1-0, best of seven, back at it Friday night. Appreciate you joining me to break this all down. On the way out here, you are going to hear some music from our guy, Greg Menakis, and his band down here in Austin, Texas. They are the Black Sheep Optimists. Make sure you follow and subscribe to them as well. We will see y'all after the I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, think it is a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'd be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that that embodied that's what go with the flow I can sing a different song if I cannot hit the notes You had me taking off when you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now But I won't Let's go.